John Scurry is a composer, a guitarist, and a painter. He has a new recording out called Early Rises with his band Reverse Swing. And he is our very special guest on this episode of the Australian Jazz and Group Podcast. Welcome back to the Australian Jazz and Group Podcast. My name is David Galea, and it's fantastic to have you along for another episode of some great Australian jazz. So who do we have on for this show? Well, as we said in our intro, we'll be talking to Melbourne guitarist and composer John Scurry, who has a new recording out entitled Early Rises with his band Reverse Swing out on the Lionshare record label. We'll be talking to him about what the Australian jazz sound is and also how he links his composing with his visual art and the painting that he does, which he is also very well known for. But to kick us off, let's start with a track from Melbourne bassist and composer Sam Anning and a track entitled Sweethearts. Now, this was taken from his 2018 release, Across a Field as Vast as One, and it features on trumpet Matt Jodrell, Carl Mackay on alto and tenor saxophone, Julian Wilson on tenor saxophone and bass clarinet, Andrea Keller on piano, Danny Fisher on drums, and as we said, Sam Anning on double bass. So enjoy this, it's Sweethearts. Thank you. 
So that was Sweethearts, taken from Sam Anning's recording, Across a Field as Vast as One. And now we've come to our very special interview with Melbourne guitarist and composer John Scurry. So to introduce us to music off his new album entitled Early Risers, let's listen to a track off it entitled A Big Surprise, and then we'll have a chat to John.
Well, John Scurry, welcome to the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast. Thanks, Dave. Nice to be here. It's really nice to have you joining us. And you've got a new album out called Early Rises with your band Reverse Swing. So yeah. I'd love to hear um, how you got this band together and how the album came about. Well, the band's been together in, in various uh, instances for oh, more than a decade, I guess. It started off as initially as a, a drumless uh, quartet. Um, because I got a bit tired of not being able to hear myself. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 also that, you know, the way I play it's sort of it's it's sort of a rhythmic sort of thing anyway. So it's a percussive thing. And also um at some stage we added the piano. Um I met I met Matt Bowden through Lee Barker. Do you know Lee? Yeah, bass player. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was playing with Lee. Lee was in the band originally. Right. With um, I think with Huge or maybe might have been Steve Grant and Michael McQuaid, who's now on the, who's on the first album, is now living in London and <clears throat> unfortunately in lockdown quite a bit. But apart from that, doing really well. Yeah, cool. Um, so we I formed that as a and, and then somewhere along the way, I started um. I wouldn't call it writing, but constructing tunes, you know, little melodies and whatever. And I got, uh, I guess I was encouraged by by the guys to sort of play them. You know, let's do, let's do these songs, let's do them, you know. I said, oh, well, you know, if you think they're okay, let's let's go with it. So we did. And it sort of evolved from there, you know. And um, the name Reverse Swing comes from a, a, a well, I don't know whether you're a cr- cricket nut. Yeah, I wondered if it did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I play cricket as well. So, um, yeah, right. Uh, and I, I started, I probably started playing about 12 years ago when I stopped teaching. I, so I taught in a. In a you started playing cricket 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh, cool. I, I, stopped, I stopped working and, um, and a friend of mine, um, who's a friend of my wife, uh, Gideon Haig, is a cricket writer as a member of the South Yard Cricket Club and he's always having every you know every six months he's doing a book launch and we used to go along and we got into conversation and he said look let's let's come down and roll your arm up or sort of thing I said okay you know whatever as long as I make a fool of myself and um so I didn't I hadn't played you know I I played in the street when I was a kid type of thing yeah but I was like I was I was good at sport when I was young and then I started playing music and stopped Stop being sporty, and then I, you know, yep. and I got serious with music, and I decided to play cricket, which is totally nuts. <laughs> but anyway, it's <laughs> great. So, and I really, I really enjoy it, and that's it's, um, you know, it's all it's, it's community, it's you know, it's, it's uh, exercise, it's all those things. It's, yep. Um, and so, I like the word reverse swing, and I thought, oh, you know, that's sort of cute, and so some yeah. people get it, some people don't. But anyway, so that's 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 how that evolved. And I guess over the years, um, we've just started to, um, I've been writing, in, in, uh, Eugene's been helping me enormously by putting, penning the things down, putting the dots down and whatever. You know, That's Eugene Ball? Sort of, Eugene yeah, Ball, yeah. yep. So I sit, go over to his place or whatever and we sit down and I've got, I've got all the chords worked out, the melody and stuff. And so this is, this is a song, you know, and he you know, pens it down and then that's, that's basically when you go from there. Um, and so we've built up a body of songs and, um, and when we've recorded them, Yuzha's generally done the sort of the horn arrangements um, and particularly you'll notice on the, on the most recent recording, the, the first album in particular, where it's a, the bigger band, what's an eight piece band, he's, he's done all the horn parts, which is fantastic. So, and I, you know, we just 
have has sort of free reign to do that, and I just trust trust him that it'll be, you know. And it's in keeping with the spirit of the song, essentially. Because the song, as you know, as if you compose songs, you um you don't know what you've got until you put it out there, sort of thing. Yeah. And and it's sort of although you may have played it over and over in your in your head, in your mind, or at the piano or on the guitar, whatever it's what I do, and you you know. But the, <laughs> because I'm not um, I don't write. I have a propensity to keep changing, right. however subtly, <laughs> hopefully for the better, the, you know, the, the melodic sort of um, structured thing or whatever, or, you know, or just yep. find an alternate chord in here. But nothing's that that complicated, you know. Yep. They're sort of fairly, I mean, they're, they're written as, as songs, essentially, as tunes to be played any which way, you know, but in this context, it's played as a, in a, as a, a jazz sort of context that, but in terms of feels and whatever, that's really, you know, I mean, you have a sense of it yourself, but you think, well, maybe it could, you know, tempo-wise, it could be a bit brighter, a bit slower, whatever, or we could rhythmically change it. It might be a, um, you know, some sort of Latin sort of feel or whatever, or, you know, calypso yep. type thing. Anyway, that just goes from there, basically. Uh, but it's just like, I mean, I've just got in the habit of, of um, fiddling around, you know, trying to find yeah, right. tunes, and, you know. <laughs> Now, on this album, you've got 19 tracks, like a double disc, I noticed, like two yeah, CDs. Yeah, so- well, that was mainly, that was mainly because um, I had 19 and I thought, well, yep. it seems a pity to, to waste and yeah, not put them, yeah. to shelve them. But, you know, as I said, you know, I said to a few of the guys, like, who knows how long, how many more albums you got in your type of thing, you know? Yep. Huge ego project. <laughs> you don't seem like a, a man with an ego problem, so that's nice. So when you write the songs, you said you write them on the piano or the guitar. Are you? Yeah. And do, when you, I didn't know if I heard you right. Did you say that you don't write them down, or do you just have these these chord charts, or um, you write the melodic yeah, yeah. line down and on a score, or how do you do that? No, no. I just have I just have the melody uh, in my in my head, sort of thing. Yeah, right. Uh, and they they sort of they um percolate for a while yep um over you know weeks or months or whatever um or days depending on how often i'm sort of sitting down and playing them and sorting them out yep and then i'll write them down as 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 chords um and bars and all that sort of stuff so i know what you know it's 32 bars there's two 16s or whatever you know yep um and have a sense of it and quite often i think what happens is that the tune tends to suggest some sort of relationship with other music you know it might be sort of a an Ellingtonian sort of uh, mid-40s type of feel or sense not 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 a literal thing just a just a a sort of a a drive or something of a particular thing right yeah the Blant and Webster years that type of thing you know okay um for example um or um, some of the things have come out of um, out of just hearing birds in the you know outside you know, like a magpie, yeah, right. magpie it was driving me crazy and I didn't know it was a magpie <laughs> and I looked up I went to the computer and I said Australian bird song what is that bird you know <laughs> I couldn't find it and this has went on for weeks I kept hearing it and I went out one day and I was I heard it heard it I was up the tree a few doors down and it was just a magpie and yeah, a right. particular call but when it when I heard it initially. There was like a call and, res- call and response from the magpie song to another bird in a deeper register, 
making another couple of notes at the bottom end. So I put those <laughs> together and that became one of the tunes, you know. Yeah. So in a New Orleans sort of sort of fashion, you know, like a New Orleans jazz, a traditional sort of New Orleans funky sort of sound. Yep. So um so that's that's sort of strange melange of things mixing together that and it, it only has to work as music. It doesn't have to work as explanation or whatever or yeah. And, and for example that one, I mean this is really sounds really silly, but that one particular tune was was it's called on the album, it's called Cheers Antioch. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> So when I heard the song, it sounded like the bird was saying, cheers, Antioch. <laughs> dee, 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 you know, in, in, a, in a magpie register, you know. So I heard the, heard the word Antioch, you know, Antioch, Antioch, Antioch. Yep. Anyway, so so that sort of stuck, got embedded, and that's, and, you know, no one's questioning what it means. So, okay, we'll just go along with it. It's fine, yep, you know? yep. And I quite like that sort of nonsense aspect of it too, but it's, but it's also based in some sort of reality, you know. Yeah, yeah. Listening to the album, and I did do some reading as well. And mm. and someone could be mistaken to think it's a traditional jazz album. And I know that yes, that, yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of expression oh. gets thrown around, but it really has a lot of elements of, like you said, that New Orleans. There was like one that yeah, had a yeah, second yeah. a second line feel to it. And yeah, th- yeah, that was probably that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah does a that big surprise? Yeah, yeah, big surprise. That's the one. Does yeah, all of yeah, that yeah. come from the fact that? It is a bit of an organic process for you, like you are responding to like a magpie or those sorts of things. Yeah, but also I think it's it's like for any of us, we can't get out of our own skin in the sense of our own um, temperament or sensibility. So however, how old we are, whatever, what music you've heard, experienced, the first music you heard, the music you first loved, all those things become sort of, and I get as, as I say embedded in, in your sort of in your experiential psyche, whatever. So yep. those things sort of come out, you know. That's why I sort of when you you listen to the sort of the you know, say Paul McCartney or, or those guys, a bit of talking about their musical background, they inherited all that English musical stuff, you know, and, yep. and from, from their parents and their uncles. And that's what makes that music so great in a sense, because it's it's really rooted in a sort of a tradition of music making. Mm. It's sort of beyond, again, it's a generation beyond what happened in the 30s and 40s, but it's still there, there it's tangible, you know. Yeah. So I guess those things are sort of, um, and I love those feels. So it's like, you know, yeah. I don't want to be, you know, if, if I play the banjo, for example, which I started off playing as my first instrument, I want to play it in some sort of uh, authentic setting, not necessarily trying to recreate music as it was written hundred years ago, eighty years ago, but, yeah, but yeah. To, to give to give that thing in the spirit of you know, and that's what it is. It's in the spirit of that sort of stuff. Because I don't I don't see it's being like trad tra- jazz or whatever. That's sort of no. It's sort of it is and it isn't. But it's not. I'm not trying to be traditional jazz. It's just like um, like the one early rises, for example. Um, it's another bird one, you know, because it's early risers they get up yeah. early don't they yep. yeah they do <laughs> and make a lot make a lot of noise <laughs> um that um i guess that was one of the things it was also it was a piano thing that from a long time ago i just had a phrase and it was again it was a bird thing you know bird da 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 you know that sort of thing and just yep. went from there and um and when we decided to um Put it down, you know, because it wasn't in the repertoire. We'd never, we'd never, never actually played it on a gig before we recorded it. Right. Maybe once or twice, but um, 
um, and I decided because the last section was, and I, I wanted Steve Grant to play alto on it because I figured it could be really mighty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I made that the last section. It goes into a, like a, an A flat section, a, a sixteen bar thing at the end, or two eights, and it was the idea of him sort of wailing above the other guys, almost like a you know a conference of the birds type of thing. You know? Yeah, right. That was that was sort of a an intentionality that was sort of in the back of my mind, but just you know, and and that's that was without sort of saying that, but that's what was my feeling about it. So, mm. so it's all those little things, you know, you just try them on, but they're not conscious things; they're things in the moment, you know. It's like you make it up as you go, type of thing.
So you mentioned a bit before about the tradition, like what you grew up with. And I did some reading that you in that group read onions. And that seems to be something that keeps coming back when I did a Mm. bit of reading about you. How much of an influence did that have on you, the way that you then created your own music now? And could you talk a little bit about that time? (laughs) Have we got enough time for you to do that? (laughs) No, no. Well, I would say that it, 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 it didn't, didn't really encourage us. There was no, we, I mean, I wish Richard Miller wrote songs and we played some of his tunes, but none of us wrote songs. It wasn't on the sort of, it wasn't, wasn't on the horizon. Yeah, right. You know, if we were a rock and roll band, we would have been writing songs. But for some reason, playing jazz in that context, you're listening to stuff in the 20s, you listen to Louis Armstrong and Jaro Morton and all that sort of stuff and imbibing all that, playing that and trying to play it with, you know, your own innate sort of, youthful spirit and you know um yeah and 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 sort of maybe some sort of there's an australian component in that we which we just through our sort of our nature that we just brought brought to it and especially when we went overseas because we you know um we, we were we did quite well with um in, in london and you know in germany and places like that with the band but right. we didn't i didn't write any songs i was just i was the you know i was the banjo player yep <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, and I didn't, uh, yeah, um, I don't think it's sort of, there's no sort of notion of, I didn't start doing stuff until about maybe 20 years ago. Right. You know? Started writing um, about 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah. 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 yeah right. Yeah. I mean, I'd always, I'd always played around with chords and stuff and, and um, but I'd never thought of them as of presenting them to be played. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I think one of the first I can't remember the first what, what it was. Um, oh, there might have been. Yeah, that's right. We did um, one of the first things we did was Al Al the 90, 96 or ninety five uh, the, the Five Bells album, uh, Alan Brown's thing with the, yep. we played. We, they, we all wrote something, and I wrote something called Last Trams, and and the Five Bells was based around the poetry of Kenneth Slesser. Okay. So, and we're all asked to choose a poem, you know, and I, I'd written, already written a song and I, I looked at a book of his poetry and I flicked through it mm. and I saw Last Tram, so I, oh, that sounds good, I'll, I'll call it that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was basically, loosely based on the chords of Baby, Won't You Please Come Home. Okay. Really loosely, you know, but that's, yep. uh, that's how it started. Uh, but it, but it, then it took on its own sort of, for me, a trammy sort of, ambulatory sort of thing that you know that um was just just a, a time thing you know anyway but so, so that was the first thing and there's a few other things like um there's a couple of poems by um dashiell hammett you know the, you know, the maltese falcon the, the yes poem? yep book? yeah the guy who wrote that dashiell right hammett. um i had a biography on, on him and um I found um, a couple of poems in this that were supposedly unpublished poems from 1927. And um, they were classic in the sense that um, they used all those words like dunce and clown and whatever and okay. and frown. And and, and um, I just put them to um, put one, one to a 32 bar, one to two sixteens, um, and they just scanned really well. Yeah, right. I just read the, read the first line and sort of sung the first line or the first few words. And then that's just went from there you know that's how that's how it sort of works you know i always find that if 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 there if there are words and it's hard to find the words because i don't write i don't you know if i write words they're 
the dreadful and corny and sort of <laughs> unrequited love and all that sort of stuff, which is, you know. um, but if, if you could find other people's stuff and, you know, well, actually on the first one, um, the, the one that Phil mixed on um, post matinee, I, Shelley, you know, Shelley Scown, the singer? No, but I did listen to that. Uh, yeah. 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 Shelley, Shelley was played with Alan and Paul Grabowski and, and, and um, Gary Costello. They, she made a beautiful album. Um, All right. Great band. And um, yeah, yeah. And I always loved her voice. And um, I did this a friend of mine I was teaching. Um, she was teaching animation. Um, well, she's an animator. And she, she was doing a little seven minute animation for, uh, for something. And, and she asked me if I'd do some music, you know, lots of music for it. I said, sure. So I actually put, made, I think I've got five tunes out of it. And All right. We selected one. And um, and I said, oh, are there any any words in this in this animation? And I misheard her. And she said, yes. And she sent me this little piece of, um, it might have been a clipping from the Woman's Day or something like that. And it was about Kosu, who's the woman I'm talking about. She was from Cooma in, in South, in New South Wales. And then near a whaling station, and so, um, and the story was about this woman who was turning a hundred, and she was reminiscing on her life and whatever. So I, I just took the, the last paragraph and verbatim, mm. and, and wrote the music to it, and that's what Shelley sang. And so when I when I when I wrote it, or when I conceived of it as a song, I th I immediately thought of her because I thought of it as being like a almost like a Scottish ballad or something, you know, because right. she's got this lovely, this voice. And so when when we had Alan's um, concert for his um, celebration after he yep. died, we had there was yep. at the Athenaeum, I met her. I had met her before, but I introduced myself again. And I said, I've got this song I'd like you to do, you know. Would you, would you come and do it? Because we'll be recording it soon, blah, blah, blah. So she said yes, and, um, and that's what happened. So... Um, so yeah. that's that a lovely thing for me, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's an odd, it's an odd form too. It's like it's a, it's it's. I think it's a twenty-four and twenty-six, or twelve and twenty, twelve and fourteen or something like that. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so um, anyway, so that was that was a, that was a real boon, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you were mentioning before about the Australian sound, and I was talking to Jeff Kluke, bass player, and yeah, yeah asked him what he thinks the Australian jazz sound is. And I'm, I'm interested to know what your take is on it because he also included Alan Brown in that conversation. And I wondered yeah, if you yeah. had a take on what the Australian jazz sound is compared to, say, the American or the European. I, th I think it's easier to identify. I don't know how, if I can identify it within a, a contemporary context, but within a more traditional context, I think it's, it's easy to make it. Uh, well, it would have been easy to make those sort of comparisons with bands so when we're playing in the 60s and 70s, um, I think there's an energy that's, that's, that's different. Right. Um, I noticed when we went to Europe in, in 67 and 70, and even in 92, we made another tour, that especially in 92, we noticed a really lot of really terrific players, technically, take everything, but, but, but not, as, um, not as energetic or something. No, there's no sort of drive. And I think that... The thing we pride ourselves on was, well, also the, I think it's another important factor that that existed then was that people, you know, there was no professional jazz musician as such. There were professional musicians, obviously, 
Yeah. But those guys who could really play, we never saw because they were in pit orchestras and stuff and tank shows and stuff. <laughs> um, and nothing was professionalised like that for a long time until, you know, like the last 30 years or so, I guess. But yeah. um, And when you played in a band, you sort of played in a band. It's like being in a football team. Yeah. And you were yeah. competitive, you know. You're competing with the other bands. I'm oh, a better than those guys, you know. We've got, you know, yep. got better repertoire, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. But so there's, there was an energy thing, I think, that existed as well, you know. Um, and I think it's it's like, although we will listen to um, the music of the day, which for us was popular music, as jazz, because there's sort of the, the jazz rocker thing divide and. Yep. Um, you know, the more sophisticated young men were, were wearing duffel coats, smoking mm. pipes and wearing desert boots and listening to jazz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Drinking single malt. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're, you know, we're playing, getting into the spirit of that music and, 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 and trying to play it well, and but maybe bringing, without inadvertently bringing something else to it, because none of us were reading it. There were no, there, there were no references or no notes to, to, to look at, even though the ones who could read, they came right. later. So we used to listen to records and, you know, listen, you know, avidly to what was going on. Work them out. And then try and work them out, yeah, yeah. And so it was, it was great for ear training, which is I really believe in. Uh, and so, and I think there's sort of a, you know, I mean, people talk about the larrikin thing, well, that's sort of yeah, yes or no, I don't know, it depends on the characters, I guess. But yep. there was an element of that, of a sort of a spiritedness that, that was very much there, you know. And also taking on the world because we're, you know, we're fairly isolated, you know, down here. Mm. Sort of, um, and there's that sort of, we're great travellers in terms of getting out and trying to find yep. the world. Yeah. Uh, we have been anyway. But um, yeah. So, but as far as the contemporary thing, I, I sort of, it's hard to know. There's so much, there's so much, you know, what, what's jazz? You know, what is jazz? Yeah, it's it's that's sort of true. indescribable. It's like it's so many things. Um, there's, I guess there's there's probably a particular sound that it's probably more cerebral now than than I'd say than than, than spirited in, in some respects, uh, generally. Um, yeah. Um, and but then again, you know, it's 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 different layers, different different um, types of um, jazz. And yep. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Even labelling this podcast was hard because I added the groove element too because there's yeah. so such a big scope. And so that's why it's yes, called jazz yeah, and groove because yeah, yeah, yeah. you really – you don't want to limit that because the word no, no. jazz is very thrown around, isn't it? It's a, it's yes. a term just thrown around today. Yeah. And when you when you use – as an alternative using the word improvised music, well, that, that's sort of – that's um, – I don't know. It's it's not a very good descriptor either, you know, because mm. it could be well. That's great because it could be anything. It doesn't have to be sort of, you know. I mean, I've still, I guess, I still have a, a preference for 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 music where there's there there is a pulse. Yep. Essentially, you know. Yep. Uh, uh, it's it's not it's not art music, so so there's there's time and there's a pulse, you know. Mm. And that may go for any sort of music from dark to to Morricone, to whatever, you know, yep. to Shore music, you know, to, you know, um, I mean, I listen to all sorts of stuff, you know, yeah. and that sort of um, hopefully is a good thing. <laughs>
listening to your album, you, you talked before about having that rhythmic sort of approach on the guitar. Was there someone that you sort of grew up with that really sort of opened your eyes to that or your mind to that, your ears, well, not, sorry? Not, it's probably a better here. expression. <laughs> not here, not necessarily, yep. but, um, uh, but on, I'm just on record, you know, like all the yep. classic, you know, you know the, uh, Eddie Lang, Django, Charlie Christian, you know, yep. Wes Montgomery, um, um, <clears throat> Jim Hall. Um, yep. You know, Pat Nassini, all the classics. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm always looking for guys, you know. I'm always yep. looking for guys playing acoustic arch tops, you know, playing, uh, not playing to this, this, this essentially acoustic, but amplified. And um, I still come down and say, like the same guys, it's always, it's Jim Hall or it's um, um, Peter Bernstein. Do you know Peter Bernstein? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Great player. Um, there's a few guys around this um, in New York. Mainly I've just seen guys on, um, so smalls, and again, look at watch yep. smalls, um, you know, things like that. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, there's, you know, there's lots of guitar players, Barney Kessel, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah. I haven't really studied studied anyone in particular. Django was, was you know, the thing in terms of, I mean, you can't play like Django anyway, let's face it. You got too many fingers. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but the, but the drive—it's it's the drive for me. And, and yeah. the thing I like about Django is 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 that energy and and the sense of it's he's making it up as he goes. He's not playing. He's playing licks, of course, but they're not sort of they're not repetitive. They're not sort of um, they're not mannered. You know? Yep. They're, 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 sort of, they're sort of authentic and real, and they're sort of um, and there's and there's more space in Django. Than people think, you know, mm. doesn't play that many notes. Mm. He plays a lot of notes, but not it's not like the current batch of Django players and playing. You know. yeah. <laughs> it's like they're trying but, to catch up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, there's there's all that. Yeah. So, um, but I just I, I, and I just love the sound of um, acoustic instruments. Essentially, it, it's um, although you know, in my record collection, which dates back to the late sixties, early seventies, I've got a lot of electronic stuff and you know, early, yeah. early um early Chick career and the forever, you know. Yeah, right. Forever band and all that sort of stuff, and you know, so weather report, and you know, liked all that yep. sort of stuff, and I still do, you know. Yeah. But um, but playing wise, I, I I don't. I mean, I don't. I know nothing about pedals and effects and all that sort of stuff. You know, I'm just completely, completely ignorant. I'm too embarrassed to ask. Don't go nice. down that rabbit hole. Whatever you do, <laughs> don't go down that no, rabbit no. hole. <laughs> no. And um, and even with an app, you know, it's like it's. I have barely barely turned up. So. Yep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm constantly being told, "Can't hear you, mate. Can't yeah. hear you." <laughs> because I want to hear that acoustic thing coming from the instrument as well as you know coming from the app as well you know, to mm. the same degree. But I don't want to lose that. So. We were talking before we started recording this and I didn't realise until I did a bit of research that you've got like a whole parallel universe of doing graphic Painting, art. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Do those two worlds meet at all or are they two separate worlds to you? They meet now, but when I was, when I was teaching, it was funny. It's like as if, if, you were, if you're really serious, if you're really serious painted, you just paint it, you know. Yep. That was the impression that you had to sort of, you know, like be really wedded to the, the easel type of thing. So, and playing music was, I don't know, sort of, um, it was okay. But it was funny when I was teaching also, the other guys, people in, in the staff guys would say, or people on, on the staff would say, oh, how's your music going, you know? <laughs> and, and then on gigs, people would say, 
Here's your painting guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's a foot in each camp and not really belonging in either. You know, it was sort of funny. But but since I've since I've stopped teaching and all that, you know, that's that's behind me and I'm quite happy to and, and also I think what's happened by having an album and having another album and and you know, dare I say use the word being a band leader, which you know I don't, <laughs> don't you know, anyway, all that. Um I feel somehow I'm more legitimate now as a musician. Right. So I never saw myself as being a musician as such. And it wasn't until sort of several times that like playing at festivals and, you know, whatever, over decades that I had to have to wear a badge that said musician. <laughs> so <laughs> I figured maybe I'm a musician. Because I had this thing about not reading music, not being trained, you know, that sort right. of stuff. And yeah. Being essentially yeah. self-taught, you know, that's what, that's what it is. So I never really had lessons and stuff. So, but anyway, but it's been really liberating in the sense that now that I can, you know, like now I can actually talk about this sort of stuff with you and it's just wonderful. Mm. Yeah. So do you um, get inspiration from music to paint or the other way around? Do you get inspiration from art to write music? No, no. I don't see them as, as that connected in that sense. I see them connected in my own sort of temperament. Right. And how I do things. Um, so let's say maybe one sense of touch, hopefully there's a parallel between that in terms of touching, you know, in terms of painting or drawing or yep. whatever to touch on, on the, on the surface or whatever, or the touch in terms of how you play mm. or the sort of tonalities you might, or textures you like, you know, Yep. Uh, that's sort of tempos, whatever, all those sorts of things. So those sort of more abstract concepts. So that's why I see the parallels. It's rather than being literal ones of um I when I would never try and illustrate, you know, um, a picture type of thing or, 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 or try to put a picture to words. Although I have used a title um, from a painting in a in a in a in a in a work. A big surprise is is a painting. Oh. Right. Not one of mine. Not one of mine. Right, someone else's. Yeah, yeah. It was just it was on a poster. We when we had a we had a gig down at the Seafarers Mission in Melbourne several years ago. And I used a made a little poster and there was a painting by an, a French artist called Antoine Watteau, who from the 18th century. And um which it, it had a, a there's a, a gentleman playing a guitar, and then there's another couple and a fellow was bending over and kissing a woman. Right. It's just a lovely, lovely image. It's in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. So, and, uh, and it's called a big surprise. That's that's the um, you know the translation. So anyway, just and that was used as a post. And I thought oh, I really like, I like the sound of that. You know, so I just used that. Yeah. The only other thing, uh, and on the recent album too, I, I cheated. Um, I sorry, I can cheat. I sort of. Um, I, I have used another thing. I've one of the titles of the of the work. On the, on, the, on the second album, there's one called um, T-Bowed at, at 100. And T-Bowed is named for an American artist called Wayne T-Bowed. He's okay. one of my uh, artist heroes who has recently turned 100 and is still working. Right. Wow. So so the song, I had this tune and it was one of, the, and I had another title and I discovered the title was already given. It's already been, you know, didn't, didn't realise it was taken. So I was sort of scrambling around for a title for it. And and the sometimes the, the tunes for me suggest sort of a, a sort of a 
not a literal narrative, but a sort of a sense of a journey or something or something yep. happening. And um, this one suggested a, um, a person or some sort of chap um, waltzing down the street or whatever, or you know, swinging down the street or um, it had a sort of a, an ambulatory sort of feel about it. You know, like it was being cranked up as it went on, you know. Yep. <laughs> got, yep. <laughs> got a bit more energy into it. And um and I thought when I found that I just noticed online he was having this exhibition, I actually bought, bought the catalogue online and when I saw the T boat at one hundred I said, Yeah, that's the title. <laughs> Thank you. 
have you got many other tunes that you sort of started writing again for another yeah, album? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I've got the first one written down uh, as of about two weeks ago, so that was good. Wow. So there's probably another another half a dozen or so that are waiting to be penned. Wow, fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. Whether they're any good or not, that's another issue, but you don't know until you, until you play them. You know? Well, that's so it. You've got to write a heap okay. to get the, the good ones, yeah, don't you? That's right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. also I don't, I don't try to... To um, it's it's how they how they how they arrive you know it's sort of something's come out as some uh, calypsos or there's there's a tango on one of them tango right. sort of feel on one of them so because uh, that seemed like the most appropriate feel for it you know, mm. you know that sort of thing so they're essentially there are tunes and then they can played in a a jazz style or manner whatever you know yeah yep yeah. That's what Louis did in the 1920s and 30s. Yeah, that's Played right. Pop, pop, popular songs of the day. You know? Yeah, so very they're, true. they're sort of like you know. Um, so there is that song, song thing that's essential for me. You know, it's a, yep. essentially a song, even if it's a song without words. Mm. You know? Although then it might be a thing of parts, and then becomes something else, I guess. But you know. yeah, I, I think I could talk to you for hours about um, all of this because it's so interesting to hear how you you're able to draw inspiration from some, you know, everyday life kind of things, you know, like. Yeah. Well, that's what the painting does as well. That's that's what my painting's about. So it's, it's based on real things, you know, it's like um, things seen, things observed, things remembered, um, things actually there, you know, I'm working with, but, but there's always, there's a bit of an underbelly with things, you know. Something hopefully there's something else going on, you know. That's not that yep. it's not manufactured. It's just it, it happens. You know? Yeah. Well, you can tell that not when you forced. hear when you hear the album, it doesn't it. And and I hate to use this word organic, but you, it's not yeah, really that. Yeah. It's it does have a, a warmth to it. It has a. Yeah. It doesn't sound like musicians just reading dots. It actually does. No, sound, no, no, no. You know, yeah, it has yeah. that definite. And I think also. We're, we're, I'm lucky in the sense that we've been playing together a long time, yep. so we know each other. You know, it's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've been playing with Howard for, you know, thirty years or something. Same with Eugene too, nearly thirty. And Steve, obviously, I'm hitting seventy four this year. Wow. Well, and you're still so, creating. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Thanks so All much right. for being being part of the Australian Jazz and Group podcast, and right. we'll, no, we'll talk Steve. to you soon. Hey, all the best with yeah. your album. Hey. Okay. Thank you.
So that was a track called Tonight I Can Write the Saddest Lines. And we heard John speak about that last track on his album Early Rises from his band Reverse Swing. So before we go any further, let's point out who the fantastic musicians are on this recording. On trumpet, we have Eugene Ball, Brendan Hamilton-Smith on clarinet, Stephen Grant on alto saxophone, James McCauley on trombone, Matt Bowden on piano, Howard Cairns on double bass, Danny Fisher on drums, Sam Kievers on piano on tracks number 2, 4 and 10, and we just heard him on that beautiful track, and of course, John Scurry on guitar. And a big thank you to John for taking the time to go through this album and talk to us about it, how he was able to bring such a fantastic recording together. Well, that's it, folks. We thank you for joining us for another episode of the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast. It's such a privilege to be able to bring you this music that is being created here in Australia. And as usual, as we say at the end of every episode, if you could please support these musicians by purchasing their music, that would be such a benefit to them. That means they can continue to create and they can continue to express themselves through their music. And Bandcamp is usually the best place to go as the artist gets most of the returns. Well, we hope you've enjoyed another episode of the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast. But until next time, it's bye for now. Thank you.